everybody. Welcome to We'll See You in Hell. You know that the podcast is part of the Fangoria Podcast Network. That's probably how you found it. You want some more information on this network? Pat, I mean, maybe these people want to know about other programs. Maybe they want to know how to follow this show or find some past episodes of other shows or our show or whatever. You go to Fangoria.com. All right? How are you, buddy? I'm good, uh, Joe. It's good to see you. Always coming in, telling people where they need to go, what sites they need to see. We get this thing started off hot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mentioning a website. Yeah, well, it's, uh, you know. You I got to f- do it. You got to pay the piper. We got to jazz it up a little bit. It's it's 9.30 our time. We are in beautiful downtown Los Angeles. I just uh, got out of work. Yes, coming hot off a new taping of Two Broke Girls. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, nice to be out. These tapings used to go till like midnight, one in the morning. We're banging them out now. It's a machine. Who made an appearance this week? Were there any guest stars? Well, there was. I, it's it's amusing. I I wanted Joe to play this role of this guy who they have a the girls. I'm sure you already know, but the girls open up a a new dessert bar that serves alcohol and desserts inside the diner they work at next to the diner, but they're still broke. Yeah, well, you know, you open a business. You're, sure. Many businesses go in, Where, into Where did they get the money for the business? I, I guarantee you don't want to know. <laughs> but, but I will say it's all explained if you watch six seasons of the fucking show. Um, anywho, I said I want to give my pal Joe DeRosa a role, and we had this role of this very funny part, very burned out, uh, divorced. He was a former child star. Who's, uh, it said his career was briefly sidelined by a 30-year drug addiction, <laughs> and now he's teaching bartending school. Right. And I was like, I'd love Joe to do it. My boss loves Joe as well. She was like, perfect. Then, like in the 11th hour, Joe said he couldn't do it, so we had to get somebody else in, and clearly they just went with a, a Joe DeRosa type, French Stewart. <laughs> We've been compared through the years. <laughs> French Stewart. I was supposed to do 30, Third Rock. I, I know. I'm the eleventh hour. Six. Yeah, I had to pull out of that as well. French Stewart. Uh, I had only seen him in Third Rock, and I thought that his eyes were squinty and like that. And it's just it was a choice he made for the character. So, and he's also not like effeminate as he was on Third Rock. Yeah. I mean, I, I realize people play parts, and you know, of but course. I what a bizarre choice to make to squint your eyes for a role, and then for the eight nine seasons that show was on. Every time you do a scene, you have to squint your fucking eyes. Yeah, it's. Uh, I went through a third rock phase recently. I, I think I found it on Hulu. And I had never really watched it much when it was on, but it was part of that whole must-see TV. Sure, I've never seen it, and I know I'd like it. I like everybody on it. Very funny, very funny. Everybody hits home runs. I'd say Lithgow hits a grand slam. Uh, I but, mean, Lithgow in a in a big, broad comedy, there's not much better than that. Yeah, So, but I looked up French Stewart afterwards because I said, what the hell is wrong with his eyes? And then l- learned that that was an acting choice yeah. and then just had a great respect for the man after that. That's a, that's not an easy yeah, choice was, to run with. He was with. cool. He, he, uh, he did a very like intense, almost late Pacino take on the material, <laughs> but uh, didn't quite get across the the sweaty loserness that I knew that Joe would and, and could bring. Sure, sure. I'm uh, sorry I couldn't do it. I mean, it did. It, it sounded like fun. Yeah, uh, it was a funny part. But oh well. The uh, I am t- I'm t- very tied up with this special right now. Tell him, Joe. This comedy special. My comedy special. Let's do the plugs now. Let's do the plugs. Uh, we shoot in. Uh, I think this will come out just before, but we shoot Thursday, October 13th in Los Angeles at the Masonic Temple the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. If you're in the area and you want to come, you can get your tickets at uh, blacklistnyc.com, blacklistnyc.com. Go there, click on the show's link. You'll find my show listed there. Uh, now, don't you feel that's confusing since the show tapes and the tickets are available for here in L.A.? The company that coordinates the audience is out of NYC. Fair enough. I know, but let's not throw it off. Like even when I saw the the link today, I was like, "Oh, I can't go to that. It's in New York." That's why I write Los Angeles in the top That's of fair. the post and everything. But anyway, I'm also directing the special, which initially I was not, and now I am, which is very exciting. But very it also exciting. means uh, 
being at all the scouts and things like that, which is why we had a major scout the exact time of your table read, and neither thing was uh, the time of neither was negotiable, so it didn't work out. I don't want you people to think I'm pissing and spitting at fucking uh, Third Rock or uh, uh, two broke girl parts over here. I, I would have loved to have done it. No, and we'll get you back in. But, uh, yeah, nothing ever works out. Uh, I Like, I Joe's special tapes on October 13th, so a month ago he was like, you got to keep October 13th free. I flip open my iCal, and from now until... The end of time, basically, I have nothing <laughs> planned. Right. Not one thing right. on my calendar. And I zero in on October 13th, the one day I have a little dot in it. And my girlfriend of many years, her father, just remarried yeah. after 20 years a bachelor. And uh, as a wedding gift to them, I said I would take them to see Van Morrison, who is their favorite recording artist, at the Hollywood Bowl. That's very nice. With Tom Jones opening, it'll be a lovely night. It's an odd bill. Why is Tom I Jones think, opening? I think they're both Welsh, and I think they both like get drunk together all the time. But I love that bill. It's a strange combo. I, I, love, I love the them bill both. too. Well, I'm not a big Van Morrison fan. I I'd go just to see Tom Jones. I'd be out of there right after. <laughs> but but I mean, it's an odd pairing of people. It uh, is because Tom Jones is Vegasy. Yeah, and uh, you know, uh, Van Morrison, Morrison is. is He's Van Morrison is Welsh. I yeah, they're both like Welsh. But like he has like a Welsh accent. Yeah, I mean they're they're Irish, which is this, uh, very close to Welsh. I always thought Irish Van Welsh. Morrison grew up here. I never knew that. No, Tom Jones is is from Wales, and I believe I believe Van Morrison is Ireland, Belfast maybe or something. But anyway, if I was just going to the show, I'd be like, fuck it, of course I'm going to go see Joe stand up. But there's a whole to do and a and a dinner. So I said, well, now is there any chance you're recording it? any time other than like 7 to 10 p.m. And the tapings are at 7.30 and, and 9.30. Yeah, yeah. Of course. But you come after and we have a few drinks. I come after. We have uh, a few everything's going well. It should be a good time. I hope you can attend. And speaking of Ireland, if you're in Galway, uh, I'll be out there for the Vodafone Comedy Festival Halloween weekend, and we will be doing the second ever live taping of an episode of We'll See You in Hell. Unfortunately, my buddy, partner in crime here, Walsh, will not be with me. Um, but I'm either going to have various guests or a co-host, but it uh, should be a good time. So if you're around, come out to that in Ireland. I would and skip that one, personally. <laughs> That's not going to be one of your better uh, episodes of the podcast. Don't get somebody too good so they're like, ooh. I was going to say, no, like Larry Sanders fear here. You're getting Jon Stewart while no, I'm here. No, no. Don't get him shitty guests, that kind of thing. No, I'll be fine. Oh, well. Who, right. could, who could match this magic? Also, the, the, the live, you're not doing a commentary, are you? No, I think we'll just, uh, it'll be the discussion style show. We're doing it. They have, a, they have a moving, a moving bus. That makes no sense. It's a bus that, they, <laughs> it, that moves, obviously, okay. that they do shows of, and this bus pops up at different festivals over there. Uh, so we're going to be doing it in this this bus, which serves as a a a, a, a moving a moving mobile bus. stage place for shows show house. Joe, I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'd uh, like you to sit back. I don't like that you're sitting. I mean, I know I'm sitting forward, but I don't think we both need to. No, we quite don't. frankly, we're today discussing a. a a classic film, and I, you know, look, I, I had a bit of trepidation before the we started recording here because Pat and I actually agree quite, quite unanimously, I would say, on this movie as far as I know. But the subject today is Demon Knight. Tales from the Crypt presents Demon Knight. Uh, this movie, we'll get to the synopsis of it in a second, but I can't tell you the event that this played in my life. There was no bigger Tales from the Crypt fan than myself. And my dear friend James Pinkstone, who we talk about frequently on here. I've never seen an episode. Oh, I own all seven seasons, man. You can borrow any of them all if right. you want. Um, now, the, the Crypt Keeper puns. Yeah. They're they're not great. They they don't even really make sense in some cases. What's the last one of, of Demon Knight? It, it's, I, fuck. I said I'd remember it, and I didn't. I'm going to look it up. The last pun? The last pun. I mean, uh, some of them, when he says, I've got final cut, you're like, all right, that checks out. 
But there's some that are just You fucking... got to realize something. By the time you hit Demon Knight, yeah. you're pretty deep into the catalog <laughs> of Crypt yeah. Keeper puns at that point. You know, that's like the last Pink Floyd album where right. you're like, these guys have lost their fucking minds. Right. What is happening right now? So it's, you know, it's you're, you're pretty far down the road. They were stretching at that point, you know? Like, you know, welcome to the uh, boovies, you know, shit like that. That's not bad at all. You know? I, I back that Care up. for some pop scorn? You know, shit like that. Yeah, there was that. There was, yeah. uh, I can't remember. I'm going to look at the memorable quotes. Did you watch the lengthy documentary I gave you on Demon Knight? Completely blanked on doing it. All right. And I would like to watch it because you Joe just also, bought the... The other night I said, hey, can I borrow Westworld, the movie? He goes, yeah, man, you're going to love it. I bring it back, hand it to him tonight, not a week later. No recollection of me lo of uh, me borrowing it. In my defense, the night you borrowed it, we sat here, we drank two or three bottles of wine. We had a nice time. We smoked a copious amount of marijuana. Easy. We don't have to talk about all that. At on one point, I said, do we eat one of these edibles? You said, why not? I mean, we were in, <laughs> we were in bad shape. Uh, we put on the yeah, movie. Yeah, all right. From Beyond. Uh, oh, wow. That, there's one we're not discussing on the show because we could not finish it. Well, here's the thing. We put on From Beyond uh, from the makers of uh, Reanimator. I'm a big, big Reanimator fan of the whole series. And uh, so we put on From Beyond and we were very excited. We were very high and drunk and thought this will be a lot of fun. We were not enjoying it. We felt that it was going nowhere. We felt that we had watched most of the film and nothing had happened. And then Pat left and I put up the timer and realized we were roughly 25 minutes into the film. So yeah. I think it needs to be revisited under a, in a, within better mental circumstances. Sure. Also, too, we were watching the movie. We both agreed there had been no credit sequence uh, and that we were probably about 35 minutes in, and then we were six minutes in, and the credits came on. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Departed style, where it springs up <laughs> like halfway through the movie. <laughs> so we have to, uh, we can't give a fair assessment of that yet. But that night, apparently at some point, Pat said, can I borrow Westworld? And it was funny, because the other day he texted me, watching Westworld, it's amazing, and I thought... Oh, yeah, thanks the, for keeping me updated, but I don't know why he's telling me that. And then, uh, well, no, I meant the pilot, the HBO pilot of Westworld. I thought was fucking awesome, very dark, violent. Uh, I loved it. I really loved it. It's the best thing they've done since that first True Detective season. And uh, the movie, you know, comes off as very sort of campy fun in comparison, right? But it was really fun. The the Westworld movie that Michael Crichton directed, which I was unaware. Yeah, I like how they just let him direct all those adaptations of his books, and then on Jurassic Park, they were like, "We got somebody a little better. <laughs> Why don't you sit this one out, Mike?" Now, did he did he step in for Congo? No, no, no. He was out by that point. I think right. he had health issues. He got real weird about like global warming and shit. And yeah, he had some da dangerous opinions. Now, here's the thing: uh, uh, the Westworld TV show is I haven't seen it yet, but it's from the perspective of the robots, whereas the movie is the perspective of the customers. Um, well, it's one of those who's a robot, who's not kind of situations. But they spend a lot of time with Anthony Hopkins and Jeffrey Wright, who are making the robots too. Oh, Jeffrey Wright! I didn't know he was in it. Yeah, he's great. He's tremendous. Ed Harris is great. Um, but Ed Harris is playing the Yul Brenner role, except he's a human, not a robot. Hmm. Um, so they mix in humans with the robots in the in the. It, it's too soon to make any sort of call or, or prediction, but I think they're going to be doing a lot of. I thought this was a robot. It's not. I thought this was a. But I mean, do you see any of the business in the in the theme park in the first episode, or is it all backstory at this point? No, you see plenty in Westworld. They don't go into like the medieval world like they do in Westworld. I thought all that stuff was a little corny. But when the robot first turns and stabs that guy in the medieval world when they're dueling, that was right. kind of like a chilling moment. But yeah. that was cool. Yeah. Um, th but, th yeah, the series, I'm completely on board. The movie was great. Yeah, uh, the series looks much more slick. I mean, the movie is great, but the movie is definitely a product of, of, of mid-'70s uh, science fiction. Yeah. Uh, the, the TV show definitely. It's, it, to me, it's a very similar refacing to, uh, like, what they did with Battlestar Galactica. Exactly, very, very except I didn't like the Battlestar Galactica. Either. Never saw the old one, and I didn't care for that. I thought it was boring. I know people loved it. I, I like the new. I like the old one. I respect the new one. I 
I didn't enjoy watching it that much, but which I always felt like I was maybe missing something because r- some real super nerds that like yeah. a lot of the stuff I like were just obsessed with it. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I don't. I mean, I do, something I, about it just didn't. I didn't find it that intriguing. Yeah. Let's let's get back on Demon Knight. Look, Demon Knight. So this. So movie here it comes, is. Go ahead. Well, what do you know? I asked for Final Cut, and I got it. He's in the guillotine. Yeah. They cut his head off. It rolls into a basket. And the last line of the film is he goes, Now that's entertainment. Yeah. And laughs maniacally. Yeah. So when you're in a theater, do they treat his puns with respect as an audience? Uh, I don't remember there being... I mean, look, I saw it on opening night. It was sold out yeah. in Delaware. Okay. This show was big. Yeah. This was movie was sold out in Delaware. We had to buy tickets for some other movie and yeah. sneak in. I right. was on a date. My friend Jim was there too. Right. He he we had to split up. We couldn't all sit together. Okay. Uh and I remember there being excitement in the theater. I don't think anybody is genuinely laughing at the puns. I think it's Right. Well, he's got it's the, the way you laugh tits in the bathtub at the beginning. He's he's directing like a movie of his own. I mean, the, to me, the John Larroquette cameo at the top is yeah. <laughs> is up there with the Bill Murray Zombieland com- uh-huh. cameo. Because uh-huh. uh, John Larroquette, I mean, was still you know you you could still smell the fumes of Night Court at that point, right? Sure. So that that was a uh, that was enjoyable. Um, but I, you know, I think I always smell the sweet fumes of Night Court. It's never left my nostrils. <laughs> I think people laughed in the way that you laugh at, like a Star Wars fan would laugh at C three PO. You're not. Okay. You don't really think it's gut-bustingly funny, but it's right. charming in its own way. Well, now, on this documentary, I learned many things, and I, it's a shame you didn't watch it, but the... Uh, now, wait, should we give the synopsis of the movie first? Again, yes. Yeah. Yeah, we never do that. Yeah, so Demon Knight was, uh, again, the first of three films in the Tales from the Crypt, the modern Tales from the Crypt uh, franchise. I'm not including the, the films that came out in the 70s. Um, but the basic plot is William Sadler is this sort of lone, eternal, gunslinger-type warrior. He's up against an ancient evil, played by Billy Zane, who is the demon knight, play on words, K-N-I-G-H-T. Genius. He is the, uh, you know, the sort of leader of the demon minions uh, that, that ruled the darkness of Earth before God said, let there be light. Uh they get tr- some pretty well done, like biblical style flashbacks. Great biblical flash- flashbacks. And There's a lot of blood of Christ stuff in the movie, and and every scene of the movie was filmed in an airplane hangar in Van Nuys, California. That whole like whole hotel, thing. yeah, really, hotel and the uh, the medieval times shit. Really, yeah, that's pretty amazing. Um, the blood of Christ is the only thing that can hurt these demons. Uh, it's the only thing that can create barriers that they can't cross through. Uh, by pouring it on the ground, it builds like a sort of invisible wall or whatever. Um, and William Sadler, in short, finds himself uh, caught with a motley crew of people uh, in a Tommy Lee, Tommy Vince Lee. Neal. Oh, okay. There you go. Come on, man. Uh, in this in this middle of nowhere motel, you know, sort of pay by the hour, prostitute hang kind of place, and. Uh, and it's the night of the big showdown. The the reckoning day has come. The, the, they ha- they must face off. One must walk away victorious. And it all takes place in this yeah. hotel. Billy Zane's like the head zombie. He gives them demon. all little f- demon. Buddy. Demon, sorry. He gives them all little fantasy uh, uh, flashes. You know, trying to the lure people. and tempt them. Yeah, all the people there. Yeah, the, the best, to... of course, is with uh, Dick Miller. When he walks into that room full of gorgeous, yeah, topless Dick women. Dick Miller plays essentially Dick Miller in the movie. Uh, I don't think he was aware that they were filming. Again, <laughs> I love Dick Miller. Everything he's in, though, he's a guy that looks like he's got a flask under the seat in his car or whatever. Yeah. But he plays a homeless drunk. And yeah, his temptation to get where Billy Zane tries to lure him over to the dark side is that that room. And it's a bar called, like, what's his name in the movie? Hold on. The Dick Miller's character's name is uh, uh, Uncle Willie. So Uncle the bar's Willie. called Uncle Willie's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Billy Zane's very funny in it. 
Billy Zane's great in it. Uh, I thought it had some. It it was to me uh, similar in tone to a movie you inexplicably don't care for, Tremors. Um, except you know didn't for me pack the scares or laughs of that film, but I did really enjoy it. I think had I seen it when I was in high in high school at a sold out show, I would have liked it more. Seeing it now, I liked it, and I have no ties to Tales from the Crypt. I saw Bordello of Blood by fast-forwarding through it when my dad rented it and pausing it periodically to masturbate. It's a real but I have not seen the film. <laughs> and, and those were the Dennis Miller scenes, folks. <laughs> the folks. Uh, Bordello of Blood was a tremendous disappointment, especially in comparison to yeah. Demon Knight. That was a huge bomb. That was the beginning of the end of Tales from the Crypt. Uh, Tales from the Crypt was delivered pretty much in full for the first five seasons. Season six became very hit or miss, and then season seven has its moments, but it's not great. Uh, And that's, for some reason, they moved the whole production, I guess it was a budget thing, to England in season seven. So suddenly now everybody's English. Doesn't seem like that would be cheaper to go to England. Um, Which was strange. Well, you know it must have been a budget thing, because in the opening... In the opening of the first episode of the seventh season, the establishing shots they show of England are shot on video. Okay. Uh, oh, in Westworld, when they show you the three different worlds, uh-huh. the one they show you the Old West, which is the set they've carefully built, then they cut to a painting of medieval times. Right. A still <laughs> shot, a paint. They used to do, get away with shit like that in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. Just cut to like yeah. a drawing of something and be like, you know, you get it. This, unfortunately, was about 2000, 2001, yeah, right, right. somewhere in there. The uh, so uh, but and then after Bordello of Blood came a movie called Ritual, which stars uh, the late Jennifer Grey. She's uh, alive. I wouldn't know. Is she alive? <laughs> she had a nose job, but she is alive. That's yeah. Okay, so she is alive. She's in that movie. Uh, I only read about that online as though that as that like even as a theatrical release was not even called a Tales from the Crypt, and they added it for DVD. They yeah, it came out when when it came out on DVD. They tacked on Tales from the Crypt and right. and got like it looked like they fished a crypt keeper head out of a dumpster, <laughs> and then a guy put gloves on from Halloween Adventure, and they it was the shittiest. Crypt Keeper rendition I've ever seen. Well, it was really bad in Demon Knight, which it was a fairly big budget movie. Like when he walks out and his lips aren't moving at all and he's talking, I was like, Well, they added the C- they added CGI in Demon Knight. Yeah. And it's older CGI, so it looks a little weird. Yeah. But at the time, that cost them some money. Right. And this is a different kind of bad. This is bad where it's like, guys, here's what we got to work with. Make it work. Yeah. Here's some string and some tape and whatever, you know? Well, th- the stories they tell on this documentary, this guy Ernest Dickerson directed, who's an amazing director, uh, kind of a middle-aged black dude. He did, like, Juice. You Love know, Juice. He did some really incredible movies. And In then, fact, can, can I say something about Juice? Yeah. Fangoria, our yes. parent company, they, uh, they tweeted out the other day, question of the day, scariest scene in a non-horror movie. My, uh-huh. my vote was... Uh, the Tupac hallway scene in Juice. Sure, when he I shuts think... the when Omar up shuts the locker and Tupac is just standing there. Yeah, that's a pretty scary fucking scene, man. Yeah, I think that's that stuff might have got him into horror, you know, because he he comes off as so charming on the documentary, and now he does Dexter and The Shield, starring CCH Pounder, who was also uh, in this right. thing as well. But uh, he did a great job in it, and he was talking about how he went in there and the the guys who were going to make the demons. They were like, so here's uh, what we can do with your, here's the budget we need for the movie. And the producers were like, uh, okay, give us 10 minutes. So he left and he comes back in and they're like, so we're going to do it with no demons. We're going to do it like where they're like yuppies and maybe we'll have their eyes glow red and stuff. And he said, I can do a cheaper version of the demons, but <laughs> as a horror fan, you know, it's your standard guy with a huge beard, but the fat guy, he's like. In a Hawaiian shirt, no less. Right. He's like, there's no way I'm making this movie without some fucking demons. Right. They're like, well, then you're going to make them cheaper. And he said, fine. I think the demons look cool. I and love the, the demons. The tricky thing about the CGI in those days is that when you do stuff in studio or when you do stuff stop motion or whatever, miniatures, it looks better than the early days of CGI. You just Absolutely. buy it more. Well, the demons, lit none of the demons, from what I can remember, are, are CGI'd in it. Uh, the only CGI in the movie, I believe, is when they make the Crypt Keeper walk around for a second. Right. No, uh, that, well, that's what they did. They said they're, we're going to get really super skinny people. Yeah. And then give them, uh, 
you know nose rings and the all the shit they did and they they look convincing they look great they look great yeah, that's actually a uh little fun movie fact uh again fangoria question of the day scariest scariest sibling character in a movie ever i replied if your answer is not zelda in pet cemetery you're oh, wrong sure sure she was played by a man they said so they could not yeah. find a woman skinny enough yeah to look that sick they they had to get a guy to do it yeah they maybe this uh the guy they got to do the sloth and seven which is one of the scariest scenes in the history of movies for my my money the guy that jolts up out of bed yeah that that part's upsetting that was a real man too yeah that part's upsetting uh that pet cemetery scene is terrifying i agree the it's di- it's it kept me awake my friend i remember when we were kids my friend brian peck who was a dear friend of mine in grade school yeah brian if you're listening i hope you're well i haven't talked to you in years she had uh, uh spinal bifida spinal meningitis spinal bifida no it's spinal meningitis it's spinal bifida is a thing that prevents you from potentially walking properly you need leg braces spinal meningitis kills you i'm gonna look this up joe i'm i'm definitely right i'd like to put money on it would you like to put money on I'll it put a dollar on it a dollar a dollar i'll put five dollars on it let's put a let's put a gram of weed on it i'll put five dollars on it right. do you have to make it seem like all we do is smoke weed on this well, that's thing? not all we do we're not even, we didn't smoke any tonight that's no, not we all didn't. we do but let's make it fun five dollars the hell am i gonna do with that all right Calm you know down. what? Five dollars, and if a listener sends us their address, I'll send you the five dollars that was once Pat Walsh's. That's real. All right, I owe you five dollars. Thank you. Get us your address. What's somehow. spina bifida? Huh? What's spina bifida? Spi- I just said it's like a thing that fucks with your spine where you need like leg braces and stuff. It doesn't uh, kill you though. What did Zelda have in pets? Okay, it was, it was meningitis, spinal meningitis, because the whole idea was it was it was in a time before they could see. This is the reason. Pat Oswald always talks about that scene on Twitter, and he always says Zelda, the spina bifida sister. Well, I mean, you, you can blame Pat Oswald for your ignorance all you want, but you're wrong on this. And when I searched spinal bifida, it says I'm just getting a lot of hits on that too. That's it's what spinal meningitis, and here's doubly why I know. Because right around when that movie came out, Ween's, well, not right around, but a little after Ween's Chocolate and Cheese album came out, and it had that song Spinal Meningitis on yes. it, yes. where it was the little vo- girl voice going, I don't want to die. Yes. And we always called it the Pet Cemetery song. We always thought, like, this must be based on Pet Cemetery. All right. Anyway. But I'm getting just as many hits on Bifida. We'll do this off. We'll do this off. Uh... Well, let's do it on so we can, it's a contest. All right. Then keep just talking. go to the Wikipedia page. Keep talking. Uh, I mean, I, I can't. I don't know what I can trust here. You can trust the Wikipedia page. Uh-oh. Pat Walsh is wrong. Tweet at us somehow. Get us your uh, address. Don't tweet it out publicly, but tweet at us, and maybe we'll DM you or something, and we'll send you an, an official $5 bill from Pat Walsh's wallet. In fact, signed by both of us. How about that, oh, Pat? that's exciting. Sure. To get the viewers or the listeners involved a little bit more. Uh but my friend Brian Peck came and slept over, and we rented Pet Cemetery and we watched it, and that scene scared the living shit out of both of us. And he fell asleep before I did, and I felt just betrayed. <laughs> I couldn't sleep. It was horrible. I was yeah. terrified. I was terrified. Uh, but I, I'll tell you, I felt like abandoned almost. Speaking of which, I'm going to send out a tweet now to the listeners. Uh, send us your questions on Demon Knight now. Um, are you done? Did you find it yet? No, nothing definitive. I, I'm sorry. It's definitive. Trust me. It's, I'm right. Look, you're getting five bucks either way. Okay. But we all know who's right here. All right. I mean, it looks like in the novel it's meningitis. I assume that's what they were doing. Yeah, Patton Oswalt, who I dearly love, uh, always says bifida. He must just be mistaken. But that's really what I was going off. He's absolutely mistaken. Okay. Um, now, Back I want to know if you knew this, because I think I might have a fun fact for you. That Ooh. from dusk and till dawn. And those are the only facts I like, by I the know. way. I hate I that. don't like serious facts. No, no one does. Uh, 
Dusk Till Dawn. Yeah, they talk about in this movie, here were supposed to be the three Tales from the Crypt movies. Demon Knight, Bordello of Blood, and Quentin Tarantino's From Dusk Till Dawn. That was supposed to be the first one. The first one. Tarantino wanted too much money, and eventually it went away. So the guys that made Demon Knight, there was, it was three guys that wrote it, a writing team, and then a third guy who they're like, we don't write with him anymore. And they cut to this guy, and it looks like he's... <laughs> had some real rough years. He like never wrote anything else. The, the other two did Kung Fu Panda, so they're oh, probably billionaires. Boy. Oh and, you know, god! He's like, yeah. Anyway, if he's listening, I'm sorry. You seem like it's, it's a tough one, man. But uh, <laughs> you know, they made it pretty clear that like if Tarantino had done From Dust Till Dawn, maybe the Tales from the Crypt movie would have been a big smash, and they would be making one a year like James Bond. They said also. Uh, you know, had Bordello of Blood gone first, it probably would have killed the franchise. Why? Demon Knight. Oh, yeah. Oh, Bordello. Yes. Yeah. Demon I agree. Knight did okay, you know, but like barely okay. And then Bordello of Blood tanked, so the whole franchise ended. But uh, Dust Till Dawn, I don't, and no offense to Tales from the Crypt, but that would have wasted what I think was a pretty fucking awesome screenplay on on something that maybe didn't deserve it. Uh, well, I don't know if I'd disagree, if I'd agree with that. I, I think I think Dust Till Dawn fits very well into the Tales from the Crypt, but it's way model. better written than that stuff. Well, I mean, look, also, there are some excellent there it, are some excellent Tales from the Crypts episodes. Uh, it would have ruined the twist too. Tales from the Crypt, you're like, when are there going to be some fucking vampires? Whereas if you just Fortunately, the marketing ruined the twist anyway. Well, yeah, I knew the twist already, but I will say this. Uh, Heather, my girlfriend, had the dream scenario of, of sitting down to watch From Dust Till Dawn not knowing. Yeah, I mean, seeing that, I knew the twist, and I still loved it. Seeing it not knowing the twist. I remember my friend Brian, uh, I saw him at a, con- a Cypress Hill concert, and we were both quite high right when that movie came out. And I said, he goes, did you see Dust Till Dawn? I said, no, but I knew the twist. And he goes, he was very high, and he goes, dude, I just, I just couldn't. Was, I couldn't deal with that man. Like, what the fuck? Like, he he felt like like almost like tricked and hurt that they did that to him. I wish more movies would do that. When people talk about this shit, you know, I just saw this amazing movie coming out that my buddy Alan produced called Ingrid Goes West, and it's a kind of a satire about social media and how it's ruining society. It Is was that that movie with uh... it's Aubrey Plaza who was oh, oh, yeah. amazing sure. in it. Elizabeth Olsen, uh, O'Shea Jackson, Ice Cube's son from Straight Outta Compton. I fucking love this. It's one of my favorite movies of the year. Uh, they're like, you know, I sat down and we did a notes session. I was one of the first people to see it, and we sat in this room, and everybody kind of gave their thoughts. I was going out of my fucking head. These are people who are in Hollywood, like insiders. It's not like they showed it in, you know, bumfuck Iowa or something. No offense to the good people of bumfuck Iowa. Sure. I come from bumfuck Missouri myself. But, like, they were missing the point so aggressively and i i love this movie so much and they were like i didn't really like the tonal shifts of it and i'm like yeah that's what was great about it i was never bored i like a tonal shift i like when a movie well, takes me something i didn't know i like a tonal shift if it works for instance demon knight the tonal shifts work very well it's yeah, funny when do. billy zane acts funny it's yeah. scary when the demons are scary but then there are other films that try to do it where it's where it's a huge miss. Sure. So, uh, you know, I think a lot of horror comedies, sci-fi comedies, they they go too big with the laughs, and then you don't give a shit about the horror or the vice versa. But um, you know, this movie is basically a a sat satire comedy that gets progressively darker as it goes. But this crowd is like, she's unlikable. Nobody was likable. Couldn't we give her a triumph at the end? You know. Oof. It, it was very frustrating, and and I talked to my buddy Alan the other day, and he's like, yeah, you know, we're kind of listening to those notes and trying to decide what to cut. I said, if you release it now, you've got one of the best movies of the year. Right. And I hope they do, but I think this is how things get fucked up, is everybody chips in. And I don't know that Demon Knight, I don't know where that would even go today unless it was made for a million dollars. Those movies don't happen, really. No, no. Now, do you think there will be a moment in this process of this ingrid goes west release where they'll say a man stood up and said you release this now <laughs> no i mean no, nobody really listened to me that much okay i the crowd turned against me when they were they were like i don't necessarily believe that these people would be this evil and i was like you live in los angeles right i i meet people i hate this much every time i leave my house right yeah and exactly. i could tell that the crowd was getting a little tense 
just some quick uh, interesting stuff about Ernest Dickinson that I didn't know here. He was the cinemat- Dickerson. Dickerson, excuse me. He was the cinematographer on such wonderful films as Do the Right Thing. Do the Right Thing, Eddie Murphy Raw, uh, Jungle Fever, Mo Better Blues, and Malcolm X, which is arguably in my top 10 films ever made. It's an incredible movie and an incredibly shot movie, of course, as well. I just got it on Blu-ray for that very reason. Yeah. Uh, Because I had it on DVD and I went out and bought the Blu-ray because I thought this must look stunning in HD, Pat. It does. The dude uh, is very, very gifted, and now he does a ton of amazing TV. Yeah. Um, but he's very charming on this documentary. If if you're a fan of Demon Knight, and if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are. The shout, excuse me, Scream Factory, uh, Blu-ray of Demon Knight has just a stellar hour-long plus documentary about it. I just bought a ton of the Shout Factories. Uh, Shout out to them. Scream out to them. They do great work. Uh, the, the, the Scream Factory stuff is great. Uh, now, I'm torn with it, if I may. You I'm may. a bit torn. And then we'll get back to the movie. Uh, but We should get them to sponsor this fucking podcast, so tread lightly. No, no, no. It's I'm not going to say anything negative. Yeah. I'm torn because a lot of the movies, I just, as you know, I just purchased a VCR. Yes. And right now, in fact, uh, we're recording on a Samsung television. Uh, that's doubling as the monitor for my computer, but that Samsung television is a tube TV Yeah, that I bought specifically to hook up to the VCR right. so I could experience certain movies with the grainy texture I wanted them to have. A lot, most of the things that the films that Screen, Screen Factory is re-releasing, they're doing beautiful jobs with, but they're movies that I want to have on VHS. I want a graininess yeah. to them. Um, See, I get what you're saying, but for me, like, I watched... Ferris Bueller, let's say, on VHS, honestly, no less than 100 times when I was a kid. So when I get the Blu-ray of Ferris Bueller and I see it looking like it came out yesterday, I I have gasped before. It's like, holy shit, because you get to see it in a new light. Well, but we're talking about Scream Factory movies, not Ferris Bueller. Ferris Bueller's not Scream Factory. Yeah, but they do the same thing. I mean, they, they take these movies that, uh, through the ravages of time, have looked pretty grandy and shitty and make them look amazing. I like when a Blu-ray preserves some of that grain as well. Well, but when you really clean up something I've seen a bunch and make it look like a new movie, that to me is what a Blu-ray is all about. Here's, of course, obviously, yeah. obviously. But here, are the, here's the thing: there are certain horror movies I like to experience that way, and other ones I don't. For instance, I, today I went and bought on iTunes. I bought all the Phantasm uh films okay. in hd i'm going to see fa- i didn't get f- ravager i'm going to go see that this weekend in the theater you should come is it coming out here come it's playing i think for three days because uh, it's like on itunes already oh well it's playing uh, over at the egyptian i know well i we're me and matt McCarthy but i think it already played are going to go see it this weekend so you should come because then we can do it on the podcast i watched one and but two with my buddy and i was so horrified when i was a kid i had not great. seen many horror movies and i was like i don't want to do this anymore they're great but i just the reason i got them all on itunes today was because the jj abrams right frame for frame remaster came out and i thought well i'm not going to watch the first one remastered and then the other one's not it's going to look dumb uh or or the other one's not in hd but Phantasm is a movie where I thought that is something I want to see in Blu-ray. There are a lot of black and white landscapes. Uh, they're in that funeral home for quite a bit. It's a lot of marble. It's it's a lot of very primary color stuff. So I thought that will look very cool. Yeah. But something like, for instance, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yeah. the original, I don't want to see that on a Blu-ray. I want to see that with... I want that to look like I found a videotape in the mud somewhere and I put I it into the machine. I hear you. And, uh, you and I, I just bought you know something that was off of like a 4K uh, thing that they just came out with of, of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Now, I've seen, I've seen it granny so many times. I'm excited to see it in 4K, but I bet, I bet even the best possible print of Texas Chainsaw Massacre looks pretty dingy there's no way you make it look incredible well that's yeah i mean it was you know it is what it is at the end of the day and then i also got on shout factory chance of massacre 2 which i watched once when i was not granted i used to be a real pussy sure still am to some degree but horror doesn't necessarily bother me as much as it, as it did when i was a kid buddy of mine when i was like 13 showed me chance of massacre 2 
I was sickened to my stomach. I the guy scraping his brain with that hanger or whatever. I was yeah. like, uh, it has stayed with me now for you know twenty five years. It yeah, ruined it's, me. It's got some. It's got some gross parts. Those Bill Mosley scenes are pretty nasty. Yeah, but I bet now it, it'd be because I've heard it's funny. Uh, it's it's without question a horror comedy. Yeah, and Dennis Hopper at his most cokey. I mean that. I think that's right before the break, right? Yeah, that's before he got sober and said, "I got to make a movie about cops." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's it's a pretty insane movie, but it's a horror comedy. What always upset me was Toby Hooper has been quoted as saying, "Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two is what Part One was supposed to be, but we didn't have the budget." And I think Part One is such a masterpiece. It, it upsets me to think that any of that was accidental or not on purpose. I think I think that the reason Text Chainsaw Massacre still horrifies is because it feels like a, a, a VHS you found in a swamp. Right. You know, like I think that it was so cheap and like they didn't quite know what they were doing, they're rushing to do it. Some movies have like a haunted quality. Yeah. And some movies try to do it and don't get there. Sure. But it's the movies that are truly disturbing are the ones where they they happen into something that really fucks with you. And that's for sure is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Now, let's get back to Demon Knight in a new yes. segment that we call Gripes and Swipes. What? <laughs> this was not discussed. I know. I me. just thought of that just okay. now. But it does sound like a segment title, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Uh, what were your gripes with the film? Because I really don't have any. Gripes and Swipes. Um, well, you know, I think for what it set out to do, it was super fun. I, I'd love to give a shout out to Jada Pinkett's ass in the thing she's she's i mean Christ. she's still amazingly hot but i mean she's that's like that that's like the peach just came off the tree yeah <laughs> oh man it's, george's it's... son <laughs> i mean that she's as you know that, that she's like in peak physical condition in that film i tell you i'm Same watching with the thomas thing. hayden church he was too <laughs> i'm watching this thing thinking you know i'd love to put one in the pink it two in the stink it you know what i'm saying <laughs> oh boy there you go <laughs> Tweet that at us when you hear this. I'm sure you will. Uh, Thomas Hayden Church, I thought was was great as a scumbag in it. It's got. I love a movie where a bunch of people band together, much like Tremors, which I again, it's just baffling that you you didn't enjoy. It's not baffling. It's I, I I've explained. I don't like dirt worms. I, I don't find it <laughs> them to be a scary monster. And then okay. so then that's the once I don't care about the monster. Then everything else is you know superfluous. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I liked it. I don't have any real serious gripes with it either, although, you know, I, I didn't love Demon Knight. I thought it was a, a very fun, solid movie. What Now, a movie that I did revisit and love, also on Shout Factory, was Raising Cain, starring you know, John never, Lithgow, bringing it back to Lithgow. I've never seen it. Uh, so this thing, I had already seen it when I was a kid, but it's De Palma, who I love. I had seen the De Palma documentary, which I really loved. And they talk about Raising Cain as being like this really lost classic. And some guy online had That's read... That's a De Palma movie? Yeah. I never knew that. Written and directed. After Bonfire of the Vanities, he was like, ooh, I better... That's a De Palma movie? Like, yeah. I never knew that either. That bombed so hard, he was like, I better do something low budge. Oh, that was out of... That wasn't De Palma no. territory. No, no. But, uh, Nor Tom Hanks territory. No, absolutely not. Right? Very, very weird decisions or choices. Okay, sorry. Some guy in the Netherlands, a fan of De Palma, had read this, like, seen an interview or read an interview with De Palma where he was like, Raising Kane, here's the script I wrote. It was in a completely different order, completely different structure. We didn't think it worked. The studio didn't like it. Nobody liked the way we set it up. Here's what I wanted to do, and I regret that I didn't even though the movie was successful. So this guy in the Netherlands edited the movie together exactly how De Palma originally wanted it. It's very different. All the scenes are there, but they're in a completely different order. And I watched them both. One is kind of a fun thriller, the, the original way it came out. The other way that he redid it is fucking awesome. Okay. And like, what what a dream for a fan. So then De Palma saw it, loved it, halted the release of the Blu-ray and insisted that they put this Netherland dude's cut on the Blu-ray. Now, without spoiling anything yeah. for me, 
what are the differences between the two? Broad, broad strokes here. The differences are the film is structured in a completely different way. Um, and it starts out as the woman's story, Lolita Davidovich's story, and like this this creep kind of muscling in on her. Okay. Uh, and her, they, she's not the guy she married isn't who she thought. But at first, she's just like carrying on an affair. Okay. You know, it's very romantic. And then you realize there's this creep in the background. The original way it's told comes from the point of view of Lithgow from the jump. Okay. So you're like, this guy's crazy. There's not a lot of surprise to it. It's kind of a by the numbers deal okay the final shot of raising cane both versions is you know like the best of hitchcock it's an awesome shot i thought that uh if you do rent it honestly and this is rare the the i guess you'd call it the netherlands dude cut is the preferred version okay they call it the director's cut on the blu-ray but it's it was edited by some dude and it's a great uh you know if you got the editing equipment Tinker around with some of your favorite movies. Maybe you'll get him a new release. <laughs> now, I will check that out. Uh, speaking of which, uh, along similar lines, the Exorcist 3 Blu-ray is about to be released. I'm very excited about this. The first movie Joe and I watched together. It is true. Who knew this is where it would lead eventually? Yeah. I don't know who's releasing it. I don't see Scream Factory. It is Scream Factory. It is Scream Factory. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the Exorcist 3 Blu-ray is being released, and for fans of that film, uh, you probably are very familiar with the fact that there was a William Peter Blatty cut that followed the book more and was, I guess, perhaps a little darker. Uh, it's a pretty fucking dark movie, though, to begin with, uh, that was lost in the fire or whatever, uh, but this new Blu-ray is going to have that cut on it that they've assembled together with, you know outtakes and b-roll and whatever the hell else uh so i'm very excited for that i put that on my my mom asked me what i wanted for christmas that was one of the things i asked for if she doesn't get it for me i might throw a temper tantrum (laughs) do they make it all see i what i used to hate in the early days of dvd was when they would say like like it's i remember it with alien 3 which is not a masterpiece by any means no it's not they're like here's the director's cut of alien 3 so you sit down to watch it, and you're like, okay, he notoriously battled with the studio. Uh, there's an amazing documentary on the Alien 3 Blu-ray about how like David Fincher just screaming at these people and disgusted with the studio and on and on. So I'm like, I would love to see Fincher's cut. I love David Fincher. And you sit down to watch it, and it's like uh, a flip book of drawings appears. I don't think that's what this is going to be. I hope not. Okay. I know one of the big... The big dispute between Blatty and the studio was the studio was like, you have to have an exorcism in the film. That makes sense. And Blatty was like, but there's no exorcism in the book, I guess, at the end of the book that's not there. Right. Uh, And they were like, you have to have it. So that drastically changed the ending of the movie. But I will say this. I love the movie as is. I look forward to seeing the new cut. The exorcism sequence is the least interesting part to me of the entire film. Yeah. Because it feels like, it feels like, uh, uh, do, you know, sort of due uh, diligence at that point in the movie. Like, the, the, the truly scary stuff is the innovative stuff that Blatty does earlier on that we hadn't seen before. And you're not going to get exorcism scenes scarier than in the original Exorcist. No. So. I don't think you ever could. Ever. Have ever, you watched ever, the new ever. Exorcist show? Uh, not yet. I'm, it's gotten know, rave reviews, and I'm curious to watch it. <clears throat> I mean, look, the fact that Fox is doing it is a good sign. Fox isn't scared to throw their nuts out on a table now, mm-hmm. which is nice. Uh, I'm not an American Horror Story fan. I think the show has potential, but yeah, I just way too much. It. it tries way too hard to shock you with sex stuff, and it's just kind of annoying and childish to me. But I loved the first one, and then I watched, like, my, my girlfriend loves it. I watched the first one or two of every season, and I'm like, ah, life's too short. That's what I did. I was glued to the first season. Yeah. And then the minute, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, the minute it becomes Beetlejuice. Yeah. Where it's like, we need to scare people out of this house. Right. I was like, this is the fucking ending? It's Beetlejuice? Yeah. That annoyed me. But I said, all right, I'll give the next season a shot anyway. And every every season except the newest one, which I haven't seen any of, I've watched the first episode. And without fail... There's a moment where I'm like, why are you trying to show... It's like a child trying to shock me with what he thinks he's allowed to say. Yeah. 
So in the fir- in 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 Asylum, it's the ch- the girl with the guy from uh, what's that band? Uh, uh, the the band, the guy that's in the band, that's in like the sort of wraparound story. Oh, Maroon Five, Adam Levine. Yeah, the part where she's like, "If you go in here, I'll let you do put it in my ass." You're like, "Yeah, okay." Channing Tatum's wife. Uh, that's Channing Tatum's wife. I didn't know that. Jenna Dewan Tatum. There's the thing in the circuit in the freak show one where the guy with the flippers is oh, prostituting yeah. himself to finger uh, women. It's like, I don't. It's too much. I don't need to see this. I agree. And no woman, no matter how depraved, is like, "Yeah, I want to get flippered in my in my puss." Well, apparently these fucking depraved chicks yeah. wanted to. Any now, final thoughts? On, oh, go ahead. Well, sorry. have you seen the Paul Schrader Exorcist? You, you must have. Uh, I own both versions, thanks to you. Pat Walsh gave me the Blu-ray set. Uh, I own them, too, and I have ago. seen neither of them. I've seen both of them. I bought both of them separately on DVD. Uh-huh. And I've watched both. Uh, ni- in my opinion, neither are very good. Okay. The Schrader one is a bit better if I remember correctly, yeah, but neither are very good. And it's it's very unfortunate because it's a case of great writer, great director, great cast. Yeah. You know, you got Stellan Sarsgar, uh, Skarsgård in there playing uh, uh, Father, is it Father Marion, I guess, is the older priest's yes. name. Uh, you know, this is the exorcism that scarred him for life. This is the one he's afraid to revisit in, right. in the original film. It's just got all the makings of a great movie, and it just doesn't, just doesn't work. I don't know what it is. It's boring as piss. Oh yeah. god, uh, Exorcist Two is very bad, very bad. And man, I really tried to hang in there. There's a couple cool scenes. I actually there like are. that, like sort of dream machine scene that everybody shits on. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, but locusts. Exorcist Three to me is wonderful. It's a three is very cool, wonderful film. I just saw, you know, to do my little wrap-up on the movies I've seen, I saw Paul Schrader. It was supposed to be a double feature with Taxi Driver up at the Egyptian and the sound broke. But it, w- it was an evening of uh, Nicolas Cage, Paul Schrader talked after this movie. It was called Dog Eat Dog, Willem Dafoe, Nicolas Cage. Movie opens, Willem Dafoe has a mild disagreement with his uh, heavy-set girlfriend. Mm-hmm stabs her repeatedly killing her her teenage daughter walks in shoots her in the head oh, and then boy. the credits roll okay uh, i went on a double date with our friends vince and georgia georgia left about an hour <laughs> into this thing uh i thought that this was paul schrader's best movie in years probably since affliction which affliction is a fucking amazing movie if you haven't seen it with right. nolte and coburn some right. of the best acting ever mm-hmm. but uh Doggy Dog was a blast. It was insane. It was very violent. Nicolas Cage uh, was awesome. Defoe was awesome. Cage gave a talk. He was as crazy as you'd want to be. Uh, we were talking before this podcast started. The first thing Nicolas Cage, Cage said during this Q&A, somebody asked him a very simple question. And he goes, you know, I was in uh, Marrakesh working on a film. And like the crowd was just kind of like laughing. Like, of course you were in Marrakesh. Right. Working on and a film. And of course you're answering the question this way. Yeah. And the the best part was he goes, now the the rave scene, the song playing in that rave scene uh was written by my son who's here tonight. Um what's his name? Weston? I don't know. You ask me like this is common knowledge. He's like a he looks like a Rob Zombie character, like long hair, he looks like a wrestler with like eye makeup on. And he goes, My son wrote the he goes, it's every actor's dream to appear in a scene where uh, your son has written the music for the scene, as though that's something anyone would ever think of. Sure. And the son sitting in the audience, I think Weston Cage, he goes, I love you, Dad. <laughs> and Nicholas Cage goes, I love you too, son. <laughs> a, a huge sold-out crowd watching this moment. <laughs> Completely insane. Paul Schrader was hilarious uh, in person. The movie was great. I saw other people. Chris Kelly's movie, a very funny writer for SNL. Uh, extremely emotional movie. I haven't even heard of it. It's a you know a very true story about his mom dying of cancer. His mom's played by Molly Shannon. It's Jesse All Plemons. Right. All right. Uh, movie was amazing. They do something with the song Drops of Jupiter that is one of my least favorite songs ever. Right. I won't ruin it for you, but they do such an amazing thing with that song that it's one of my favorite things I've ever seen in a movie. Okay. How they use it throughout. 
Um, again, uh, one of the best movies of the year. Other people, great little indie movie. Extremely depressing, of course, but also very funny. Um, I saw Snowden, Oliver Stone's Snowden. Zero interest. So boring. I thought the documentary about Snowden was fucking boring. Uh, I don't necessarily think he's a hero or a villain. I just don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, of course, people are, are invading our privacy because the world is collapsing into the sea. Right. You know, I don't I don't necessarily give a shit. Oliver Stone kind of treats him as a hero. Cage was in this Snowden as well. Cage was in that, too. Uh, very restrained. His hair is insane at this point. He looks like he's had a facelift or something. Right. Snowden's not great. Um, I saw Masterminds. What do you I mean? What do you is this all you do? No, we're talking over since in the last month. Okay, all right. Masterminds. I mean, Galifianakis, Wig. You know, everybody in that movie is fucking funny. Uh, I love the director. I love Gentleman Broncos, very underrated. And of course, he did Napoleon Dynamite. Uh, it doesn't look like a great movie. It's very bad, and everybody in it is funny and trying. But it's a great, like, true crime story that actually happened. And he's got everybody in like Prince Valiant wigs and like, right. pants suits and stuff. And then they show you at the end, which was a mistake. Galifianakis with the real guy and it's just like a normal hick yeah like why did you make everyone look like beyond cartoon right versions? right right uh that one was a bummer and then I saw Sully which you know straightforward old-fashioned entertainment I enjoyed it <laughs> I would see Sully I haven't seen it yet it's fun they'll send the screener you'll watch it yeah. it's 90 minutes Hanks is great and my favorite part about it you can't spoil Sully you know what fucking happened with Sully but they do this, uh, they end it with like a Golden Girls blow, like a sitcom ending where they'd all like pause, freeze frame. They're ta- they're at the hearing. Laughing? About this. They're all laughing. So they end solely this very serious, very serious movie. And at the end, Eckhart, they, they ask them, they're like, well, you know, we apologize. You guys obviously did your best. This hearing is adjourned. Right. And, uh. They're like, do you guys have anything else that you'd like to disclose or say at this time? Is, that, is there anything you wish you'd done differently about that fateful day on the Hudson? And uh, Eckhart goes, well, there is one thing I would have done differently. I would have done it in July. And the entire room <laughs>, laughs explosively. They cut back. Eckhart's laughing. Like <laughs> Hanks looks over at him. And Hanks is shaking his head like in slow motion, like, you old, hilarious son of a bitch. <laughs> and then the credits roll. I love it. I cannot believe that they ended Sully with that, but they did. I love it. That's like the ending of a, like a Rodney Dangerfield movie. Exactly. That's great. But, so you know, it. I like how Eastwood makes a movie. It's very straightforward. Uh, he does one cut of everything, obviously. but uh, I, I will tell you now the movies I saw. Go on. Lights Out. Thoughts? Didn't huge disappointment okay huge disappointment my right. god that movie was was just given accolades i was highly disappointed yeah uh nicholas cage i saw the trust today very good i i recommend it highly i thought it was very funny okay and i enjoyed watching nicholas cage sort of downward spiral slowly through the film uh it reminded me of jerry and tom the sam rockwell joe montagna film which is one oh, of my favorites saw you gotta see that movie that's a All great right. movie uh, I saw the uh, Phantasm remaster. Wonderful. Uh-huh. Looks beautiful. Looks gorgeous. Uh, buy it if you're a fan. Don't rent it. Just buy it. And finally, Blair Witch, which I'm going to bite my tongue on because I feel like we're going to probably yeah, review we'll that it. on here. I, I uh, was supposed to see it this week and, and didn't. So no comment it. yet on Blair Witch, uh, but uh, it's coming. Folks. That's your episode. I don't know what else the hell else you want. That's well, an hour. What more do you want from us? Uh, I uh, Plug it away, Patty. Well, uh, tonight, and unfortunately this isn't going out live, but tonight uh, I am on Drunk History telling the story of Buster Keaton. Uh, so it's the second episode called Legends, mm-hmm. and it aired on October 4th. You can catch it in reruns or Hulu or whatever else. I think Hulu, it's a week after. Uh Tony Hale, Buster from Arrested Development, plays Buster Keaton. Billy Joe Armstrong, the lead singer of Green Day, portrays Charlie Chaplin. I have not seen it. I'm going to leave this podcast and rush home and watch it because I can't tell you how much anxiety it gives you to know that all of your friends and family 
have seen you drunk on television and you have not seen it. So I hope that I did well. Been on it before. It all worked out. I, I'm sure this did as well. Very good. Uh, again, special coming up October 13th. Go to Blacklist, blacklistnyc.com for tickets. 7.30 and 9.30 taping at the Masonic Temple at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery in Los Angeles. Uh, and I will be in Galway for the Vodafone Comedy Festival Halloween weekend. Again, doing comedy shows, but also doing a live recording of an episode of We'll See You in Hell. Which has been a presentation of the Fangoria Podcast Network. Produced by Thomas DeFeo. Executive produced by Ken Hanley of Fangoria Entertainment. For press opportunities, advertising, inquiries... And info about We'll See You in Hell and all the other shows, you can contact Ken. It's Ken at Fangoria.com. Thank you. Night, y'all.